Welcome to the Championing Women in the Media panel discussion, brought to you by the South Africa Media Innovation Programme. Today's discussion addresses the questions on how Samip women in the media responded to the challenges of COVID-19. Today, you'll hear from the likes of Kathy McGroby, founder of Quote This Woman Plus. What's really important for us is encouraging community voices. We stay with our Quote This Woman Plus, whether you are a man or a woman and you are a voice beyond the mainstream narrative. We want you on our database. Carol Mohlala, media and communications expert. So when COVID hit, most of our members lost 60% of their income, meaning that most of the publishers were either reliant on emergency funding or were either forced to close down. And when you look at the numbers, those that were forced to close down were mostly female-led publications. Dawn Numdui editor of Food from Zanzi. Many of our success stories are about women in agriculture and these voices weren't previously heard before and they were especially bypassed by some of our competitors in the industry. Khadija Patel, co-founder of The Daily Vox. The media has been in crisis um, for a number of years and what COVID-19 has done for anything in society, anything in business, all it's done is it has exacerbated existing faults. And Shandukani Mulaudzi, contributing producer at the Children's Radio Foundation. I work in a place where we've been very, very open about our mental health and all of those things. These conversations are happening all the time. If we did not come to the standstill that we came to, none of us would have been thinking about the things that we're starting to think about now. Before we get into the core of today's discussion, let's hear from each woman and how they've been impacted during the COVID-19 pandemic. First up, Kathy McGroby. I founded and currently run Quote This Woman. We're a gender and media nonprofit that link journalists to women who are experts in any field in order to close the gender gap in who gets quoted in the media. And then we also lobby journalists to look beyond the normal men who they always quote in the media. And we provide women-focused leadership and media training. There's a plus in our name because beyond women, we have on our database people living with disability or people who feel marginalized in any way because of either sexual gender orientation, perhaps because of education, they don't speak with a Model C accent, poverty or rural location. So that's the database that we've got. And we hit 2020 with a very specific focus that we were going to build our database in three specific areas, um, finance, sport, and then STEM. And obviously COVID changed that completely. So I think it was around the 8th of March that um, patient zero was diagnosed here in Hilton, where I live, in KwaZulu-Natal. And I think on the 9th of March, we put out our first list of COVID experts. We managed to find eight women who could speak on various aspects of COVID. So they were immunologists, medical health experts, 
They were experts on hand washing because that was the big thing and on closing airports, etc., and international trade because that was what was the big things back then. And that database was circulated through the Association of Foreign Correspondents in South Africa and then as well through, what is the organization of editors? Um, Yes, thank you, sorry, I lost the word. And in that way, our newsletter circulation almost trebled and it was absolutely wonderful. Those poor eight women were inundated with calls and we had emails saying, thank you, this is God sent from journalists all over the world saying we can now get a grip on what's happening in South Africa. Major highlight, and we've grown that database to over 90 women, experts on COVID. What it cost, the physical, emotional, and one of our premises is that we want to level playing field. So we don't charge our experts and we don't charge the media. We didn't make money at all in this quarter and we worked so hard and we have almost no staff. Um, So yeah, so it was at a great cost. Up next, Carol Moshlala. Twenty started on a bank, Association of Independent Publishers, plans for 2020. And if you know, um, the Association of Independent Publishers is just small community media that is focused in the communities, you know, and um, already struggling with finance. We had great plans for 2020, how we're going to at least try increase the revenue and stuff. So when COVID hit, most of our members lost 60% of their income, meaning that most of the publishers were either reliant on emergency funding or were either forced to close down. And when you look at the numbers, those that were forced to close down were mostly female-led publications. It was quite a bitter pill to swallow. I then left my position in June as director of AIP because I lost my own brother due to COVID. And that Mm. itself was a low blow for me. And I was like, you know what, I'm already dealing with how we're going to survive until the end of the year as small media and this virus has already taken one of us at home. So um, I have been in a regrouping mode where I have started little by little, starting to build more on the highlights of trying to rebuild the sector bit by bit and also assist community uh, media in recovering from the repercussions of COVID because for us, it was not only giving the information to the communities, but how do you give the information to the communities if you can't even afford to print? And that was really a big one for us, you know, and we, we are in discussions now on how we can look forward to the new way of doing things and how we can survive this storm. Dawn Numdui says as a writer in the agriculture sector, she's advocating for more representation. Before discovering the world of agriculture or media nearly two years ago, I worked in community radio. And for close to seven years, um, I worked as a news reporter, content producer and presenter at the local radio station based in Paul um, in the Cape Winelands in the Western Cape. So community radio is really my first love and my heart goes out to 
you, um, Carol, when I heard you talking about, you know, publications or having to close, it really hurts my heart. Um, so, so yeah. Um, and so this is definitely where I found my voice and love for media, especially as a female reporter. But it was a struggle with less resources and often having to run a one-woman show with limited volunteers that we could only really incentivize on small stipends because of limited funding as well. So um, in my experience working in community media specifically, I realized that the sector is often undervalued. Um, so perhaps we can even talk about that today and how we can possibly change that to aspire for more um, aspiring female journalists and writers um, to tap into the sector and use it as a stepping stone um, to a career in media, because that's, that's what happened with me. So more specifically to my work as an agricultural journalist, I'm now currently looking to showcase the diversity of the sector. Um, I'm passionate about shining a light on the achievements and difficult journeys of the often underrepresented communities in the sector. An important aspect of our work at Food from Zanzi is to always try and include female sources in our stories. Many of our success stories are about women in agriculture, and these voices weren't previously heard before. And they were especially bypassed by some of our competitors in the industry. So we definitely champion women in agriculture um, because they've always played a vital role within the sector. And the sector also continues to attract more female farmers and agriculturalists. And I honestly believe that um, our future farmer in this country is female. So more specifically to 2020, we had lots of things planned, obviously at Food from Zanzi. And a week before we had to go on this roadshow across the country, agricultural roadshow for school learners to encourage them to choose agriculture as a career. Um, we had to cancel but I think we actually did well. It, was, it felt almost like a coming out party for us. Although some of our competitors, especially in the print media sector, had to close down for a while, we moved on with our digital platform and we gained a lot more audiences. We were able to host a number of online events. And so people looked to us to share the latest agricultural news um, and updates within the sector. And some of the positive things that I can maybe highlight is the fact that we started seeing more women in the beginning of the lockdown starting their own community gardens and producing their own food. And we've really tried to celebrate them during this time. I mean, I can highlight one woman, a 27-year-old Cape Town agripreneur, Kumisi Makabile. That's just one of the amazing stories that we've been able to highlight and talk about um, on Food from Zanzi. So that's definitely a positive for me now amongst COVID, the fact that people are seeing agriculture and especially women in agriculture as vital yeah. and important. That has been one of the highlights for me, despite the pandemic, despite everything else, that women in agriculture are now being seen and heard more so now than ever. Khadija Patel speaks about the effects of the decrease in advertising and its impact on media revenue. Um, 2020 started off with me in a completely different job. Um, I was the editor-in-chief of the Mail and Guardian and very happy to be there. Revenues were tracking up year on year. And then, um, you know, one of Kathy's neighbors contracted COVID and um, South Africa hasn't been the same again. What happened at the Mail and Guardian was, uh, I think within days of South Africa recording its first COVID-19 case, 
advertising revenues, you know, went down the toilet. We had cancellations on uh, mass event revenue, which is an important part of the MNG's revenue mix. Of course, you know, events had to be canceled entirely. You know, we, we lost that revenue completely. And the Mail and Guardian as an independent publisher is not, not in a position to withstand these kinds of sudden shocks. We're not part of a bigger group. So almost immediately with management, we had to think about how do we pay salaries next month? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so I went out on a public campaign to actually raise money for the MNG, um, getting people to subscribe to the publication and also to uh, donate. And a lot of people asked me, was I not embarrassed to be going Mm -hmm. out in public and talking about how bad things are? And I was shocked that people would even think that I could have been embarrassed because the severity of the crisis that we face is unprecedented. The media has been in crisis um, for a number of years. And what COVID-19 has done for anything in society, anything in business, all it's done is it has exacerbated existing faults. COVID-19 came and at a time when most of us were still trying to figure out how we're still going to survive, how we're going to pay the bills in five mm-hmm. years' time. But of course, the personal is the political. And, you know, I also had my own, you know, personal issues. I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease within this year. So I eventually decided to resign from the MNG. It's a decision that still, it haunts me in many ways because I feel guilty for having Mm. left when I did. Many of my colleagues believe that I was reckless in the way that I left. But I think Mm. that what the pandemic ought to have taught all of us is that your own priorities and your own health are still paramount. You know, that's what I did when I left the MNG. And then in the meanwhile, of course, I had the Daily Vox running in the background. And the Daily Vox is very much motoring along on a skeleton staff. And I had started this year. I had already had advanced talks with two possible investors. Then COVID-19 happened and uh, no one's going to see the media as a viable investment right now. So as it happened, I'm suddenly with some time on my hand. So, you know, some things work out well. And I'm putting together a new strategy for the Daily Box while just breathing and learning to just look at the world again and be happy. And finally, Shandukani Mulaudzi speaks about the importance of working for a company that also focuses on employees' mental health. What I really like about um, what has been discussed so far is that we've taken a very nice, journey into explaining that we don't exist in silos. I'm a businesswoman, I am a um, journalist, and I'm a mother. But COVID basically was like, uh, no ma'am, <laughs> you're all these three at the same time. So how do you ensure that as things happen in the personal, it doesn't necessarily affect the journalist in me as much as it could or it should. I think that comes with having workspaces that allow us to be people. Working at the Children's Radio Foundation at this time was the biggest blessing I could ever have had. I, at the beginning of February, got diagnosed with anxiety and depression. 
and started on medication. And if anyone knows what that's like, you have to adapt to, you know, this new medication and it's confusing and it's basically you're a mess. Mm. And my body was telling me to stop because I was doing way too much all at the same time and thinking that I'd be able to survive all of that at the same time. And my body was like, no, sis. (laughs) And so you get diagnosed with depression and anxiety. Obviously, you can't hide that. If I tried to, my work would have been a mess. So luckily, I work in a place where we've been very, very open about our mental health and all of those things. These conversations are happening all the time. If we did not come to the standstill that we came to, none of us would have been thinking about the things that we're starting to think about now, which is... How do you support your team when they're all going through very different experiences of what their workday looks like now? We had to rethink everyone's schedule. Now that we know the woman on the panel a little bit better, let's get to the core of the discussion, which was moderated by Lynette Ntuli, CEO of Innate Investment Solutions. Dawn, one of the big trends we've certainly seen in media during this period in time is with us all being at home, but also with so many different South Africans now also having access to um, technology, to data, to the internet, and almost being close to the news first. You know, everybody has become almost a breaking news specialist. And it's been really interesting to see the growth, but also the importance of in-community and community-based media during this period in time, particularly when we think about the role that media has in terms of education. My question for you is in-community media and specifically the development of members of society and the public almost into being the drivers behind the stories that make the new headlines, the new front pages, as we have discovered them during this period in time. Um, How do you see that defining media as we go forward? And do you see women specifically becoming a driving force behind the new voices that we're going to hear from within our communities? I definitely see women playing a very big role. With us and the stories that we tell, we use the women and people that we write about to Mm. share their own stories through our platform and use social media to do that as well. A big part of what we've been doing is because accessing that information isn't always as easy because of data and connectivity Mm. and issues. So our podcast is also a big player for us in terms of being able to share and being able to get people to access information. Because we couldn't do our roadshows, we've also recently started a campaign to showcase the different agricultural careers. And this information is all coming through via WhatsApp and via the telephone. So I agree that women definitely have a big role to play and we can definitely do more by accessing more of the rural communities. We've recently started our citizen journalism project and we've specifically focused on rural communities and citizen journalists or aspiring writers within the more remote areas and they will then be telling their own stories. Kathy, one of the really interesting phenomena that I've certainly seen during um, this period in time 
is how new women have entered the media space. And that has predominantly been driven, of course, by access to different platforms. The number of women who are curating blogs and webinars and new channels on different platforms has grown seismically around the world. Can you maybe just talk to us about what it means specifically for the representative bodies in the media industry? From quote this woman's perspective, what's really important for us is encouraging community voices. We stay with our quote this woman plus whether you are a man or a woman and you are a voice beyond the mainstream narrative. We want mm. you on our database as long as you have something to say that can be amplified as a part of news. So that's really important to us. But we also have a database that we need to do rigorous checks on so that when we say to journalists, come and use our experts. Um, we know that these are people that aren't going to promote fa fake news. And that's a constant debate for us. How do we check that someone yeah. is worthy to be on our expert database? Because we yeah. just need one journalist to say, yo, I phoned someone and they gave me the story and it was absolute rubbish. And our entire database is suddenly worthless. That's a risk we grapple with constantly. But we do our checks and balances just like a journalist would. Khadija, you've worked in several newsrooms that are quite rigorous in terms of their sources. And it's been both distressing to watch during this, this period of time where the world has needed so much information, um, but also watching how the media industry in itself has suffered during this period in time, print, um, the demise of prints, the demise of so many different titles from a South African perspective, the loss of um, jobs um, right the way across the sector. Um, and of course, now media having to redefine its own model in terms of its commercial model. But we also have seen very few initiatives that have assisted um, media and creative um, leaders, entrepreneurs and professionals in making sure that not only do they sustain their platforms and enterprises, but they're also able to sustain the quality, you know, of um, journalism, the quality of the content and the, 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 the quality of the resources that are required to keep producing um, media that is informative, that is responsive um, and, you know, keeps is consistently available um, to us during this time. Can you maybe just give us some insights around um, what sustainability now looks like and your reflections on where we're going as we move forward. I'm going to start off first by respectfully disagreeing with you about, um, you know, on your point of um, your previous point about there being a kind of a resurgence of new voices um, mm. that we're seeing. Um, mm. I don't think that's the case at all. Um, mm. I think that um, if you look at um, uh, a, a, um, a court case um, during the lockdown where uh, a group of crazies basically um, took government to court to challenge um, uh, the logic of the lockdown regulations. And mm. um, an extraordinary judgment was delivered um, um, in that case. Um, I, I'm not a lawyer and I'm not a legal scholar. So, um, you know, in my experience or, you know, the reading judgments is purely from a, um, you know, from the point of view of a journalist. But what struck me um, in that, uh, you know, in that judgment was that um, instead of quoting 
um, you know, law or jurisprudence, um, that particular judge actually quoted a, uh, a columnist um, mm. um, several times, um, more than twice, I think. Um, mm. And that columnist um, is, and uh, he's, I respect him greatly, but um, the fact that he's able to craft um, narrative. He continues to be able to craft the narrative to the point of actually being able to guide a judge's decision in that way. Tells you um, the extent to which um, transforming the you know transforming the landscape it remains an ongoing process. Um, mm. The uh, you know the debate on what is news and um, is you know I think that's not for this platform. Um, I think that w there is certainly a difference between what is news and what is entertainment. Um, yeah. But I think ultimately independence is about whether the you know whether the you know the particular publication that you are consuming is mm. first of all devoid of influence from commercial and political um, sectors. Okay. Um, that ultimately is the test of independence, and mm. um, and therefore it is particularly difficult to sustain um, independent media. Mm. Um, but at the same time, you know, um, the most encouraging thing for me uh, in 2020 was the fact that every news publication around the world um, mm. saw a healthy bump in online traffic at the height of the COVID-19 pan pandemic in, um, you know, in their countries. So whether it was in the global north or the global south, we all saw healthy bumps in online traffic. And this gives yes. me, it gives me courage because it tells me that in the moment of profound crisis, mm. um, people will continue to look at established and reliable sources of news to guide them. Um, mm. does, this, of course, is side by side by the fact that, yes, our aunties were also sharing WhatsApp rubbish, right? Um, but this is the ecosystem we're living in. Um, and the fact that all news publications saw healthy, um, you know, a healthy bump. When I was at the MNG, I think we uh, recorded the MNG's best ever traffic in its history, mm. best ever digital traffic in its history. Um, mm. And that's extraordinary. Um, and it should be giving us courage. It tells us that there is value to the work that we do. Um, what we do know is that the advertising model is dead, right? Um, yeah. And we cannot continue to, uh, uh, to look to advertising to pay our bills. Um, we know from looking um, you know, at examples across the world that uh, reader revenue, you know, reader revenue models are exactly where people uh, have seen success and have been able to establish some level of sustainability. Um, you know, the the models that are often cited are, uh, you know, the New York Times um, and the Guardian in the UK with their membership model. Mm -hmm. But the truth is that there is only one New York Times and one Guardian in the world. Um, mm -hmm. So the the struggle for many of us in the global south is to actually um, establish um, good media research, uh, empirical evidence about media sustainability in the global south. Thank you so much, um, you know, Khadiji, for just those points. Um, Shandugani, though, the, the one 
points and uh, guess points of interest for me just in terms of your profile and what it is that you do is that your entity also specifically looks at creating content um, for a a very important market, um, children. And children certainly during this period in time um, have become really perhaps the biggest consumers of media, considering that so much of their education um, and so much, I guess, even of, you know, how they see the world and how they grow into the world has had to be conducted um, in so many ways um, via screens. Tell us a little bit about um, some of the green shoots that you've specifically seen um, in that space. For us, what we what 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 we've always known and um are very happy was proven during this time is that radio is king radio doesn't require you to have as much money as um your friend in on, on if if we were if we were all a monop on on a monopoly board um your friend in clifton and your friend in amans in Doti are on the same level when it comes to radio, because radio is radio, and um, some of us will access it from a community radio perspective. Others of us will will access it on a national radio perspective. Whatever the at the end of the day, everyone has at least access to a radio station. And so, with our kids, when we were looking at programs and things that we could put on um, our platforms in terms of of, of education, we just went into radio because it was an easy, easy way in. Um, and so even when we think about the sustainability of Children's Radio Foundation, as, as, as the company grows, we know that there has to be a lot of um, collaboration that has to happen between radio and podcasts in order for podcasts to even feature as an idea in people's heads. And I think that that is something that we all know from um, even the American perspective of how podcasts grew and how podcasts became a thing. So even when we think about how we adapt tools for children um, to be able to access things, we can't be creating um, uh, programs that live on desktop when desktop is not how most of these children are going to be accessing the information. So create things that are specifically for the cell phone and the kids can succeed. Um, and then you don't have to think about the digital divide as much. You just have to think about how you're going to get that data into their hands. Africa is a mobile first um, continent. And so we need to be fixing and coming up with solutions that think about our context. And this is that global South conversation. Thank you so much for that reflection. And I think a final question to all of you, as we move forward um, into the great reset um, of models, the great resets of thinking, the great resets of infrastructure, the great resets of our economies, the great resets of societies, the great resets of how stories are told and where stories and the sources of stories come from, the great resets of just so much in a world around us. What is the one space and place that women can get in and play a specific role in the media sector? One of the things that um that I realized when I started working in the industry that I'm working in, which is the agricultural sector, which is quite niched. Um, and so was that I was on a trip, and maybe this is a short story, 
to everyone. I was on a trip, we were visiting farmers um, and one of the male counterparts that was on it, also an agricultural journalist, he looked at me and we were having this conversation about the work that we do and he said that mm -hmm. someone like me a few years ago would not be in the sector. Mm. So maybe I'm, I'm a bit biased here, but, but I would definitely, my silver bullet would go to encouraging more women and specifically black women to enter mm. this agricultural sector and, the, and, and become writers within the sector because there's a world of opportunities that is often overlooked. Um, we don't all have to um, chase the blood and violence and sit in newsrooms Agriculture has really opened a new space for me to work in. Um, and so I would definitely encourage more women to look at this as an option. As much as I did say earlier that radio is my first love yeah. um, and radio is king. <laughs> so, but, but agriculture has really um, opened new doors for me in terms of my work as a journalist and reporter. So my silver bullet goes to the sector um, and encouraging more women to join the sector. And um, I think in a way it will also, we, we, we can sort of change the conversation and the narrative around who in our country feeds us. And yeah. that it's, you know, over and above, it's, it's, it's black women and black people that are feeding us in this country. And we should start changing that narrative and, and putting more of that news out there. I think because I can follow on from Dawn, um, um, to me, closing the gender gap in who gets quoted in the news, I mean, that is my business. It is what keeps me up at night. Um, I think that, unfortunately, many journalists and many media institutions be, uh, think they quote more women than they do, and um, mm. that regardless of, uh, of gender, of journalist, unfortunately, um, and there's actually been international research done to prove that. Um, um, and in South Africa, um, it comes out consistently that a woman is just quoted once for every four times that a, a man is used as a male source. So, so really pushing for more women sources to be quoted in the news um, mm. and for for that unconscious bias that comes through in reporting. Thank you so much, Kathy. Khadija? So um, I think for me, um, I'm passionate about the idea of news media as a public good. And I believe that in order for us to secure the future of the news media, we have to secure the idea of the news media as a public good. Mm -hmm. Um, and this requires work, not just by journalists and media owners, but it requires work by society um, mm. that we need to assert control, um, uh, you know, over what we're being fed. We need to be able to uh, engage with our news. Shandugani, have you had your moment to think? I think uh -huh. more could be done around ensuring that journalists are supported when it comes to our mental health um, as well as uh, mentorship. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think in my years of working in, 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 in one of the big uh, uh, organizations, 
I had a mentor. Um, I still don't. I've had to now force my way in with, um, with, with someone. But, you know, I think the one thing is that, you know, as, as a young journalist, it's really difficult to go up to someone and be like, hey, please, can you mentor me? Um, especially because people are, are busy, you know. So you also don't want to um, go up to someone who's like super busy and then they're just too busy for you and then it doesn't help anyone in the process. But I think that mentorship is, is, some, is, is, a, is a huge, there's a huge gap. And that brings us to the end of the Championing Women in Media panel discussion brought to you by the South Africa Media Innovation Program. Keep up to date with the South African Media Innovation Program at samup.mdif.org.